0: Amen. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Paul. and Thank you, choir. Wonderful time of worship this morning. Lexi and Megan, I want to say to y'all, congratulations. I'm so very, very proud of y'all. And it's a privilege for us as a church family to share in this significant, significant day in your life. When you're up there in that baptistry and you're following Jesus and believers' baptism, I I want you to know that he looks upon you and just smiles a big, big smile because that pleases him so very, very much. And it was a joy for us to share in that with you guys. Matt and Emily, I love y'all, and y'all are a great, great example of parenting God's way. And um, I thank you for your testimonies. Last week we looked at the first nine verses of John chapter 5. Jesus was in Jerusalem and it was during a feast time and so the city was packed with people. There was a pool called Bethesda near the Sheep Gate just outside the walls of the Temple Mount where many, many lame people would gather because they believed that that pool had healing power. Jesus himself went to that pool. And the Bible says that he saw a man. And he focused on that man. And he went to that man. It was a man who had been lame for 38 years. And he asks, them, he asks this man, this I'm going to say, all important question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be changed? I believe Jesus sees you today. He comes to you. He focuses on you. And he asks you this question You want me to change you? Do you have a desire in your heart? To be changed when he asked the man this question his response was something like this I've been trying for 38 years to be changed my plan hasn't worked very well and Jesus said well here's my plan get up take up your bed and walk the Bible says in John chapter 5 immediately the man was healed God had brought about change in his life. We see this morning as we study subsequent verses that almost immediately this change in this man's life was challenged. Has God changed you? Do you desire change in your life? The word Change, or there's a word in the Bible that means change. It's a word, it's a Bible kind of word. It's it's the word sanctification. It means changed. It means transformed. It means set apart. For every believer in this room, every Christian in this room, you have been sanctified. You have been changed. But it is also a word that is used as a verb, the process of being changed. In other words, when God changes us, when he saves us, he changes us. He transforms us. It's, It's a brand new life. Old things pass away. All things become new. It's a brand new life. And it's the beginning of a spiritual journey where change takes place in our life because Jesus has shared with us what is our destiny. And our destiny is to be conformed to his image. And so that is a a lifetime process of Jesus exacting or bringing about change in our life. Do you want that change in your life? He asked you that this morning. It's an extremely important question. Do you want to be changed? I think that, 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 that sometimes we struggle with that question. And Pastor Jim is right. It's a spiritual battle that takes place in our lives. We struggle with that question because, because our heart is not the same as God's heart. We, we struggle with that question because the temporal is more important to us than the eternal. Because, because being comfortable is more important to us than the development of our character. Because being happy is more important to us than being holy. Holy. And God's heart is, I'm more interested in the eternal than the temporary. When we, when, we, when we pray and we say, God, here's my need. Here's what will make me comfortable. Here's what I need you to fix. I think God truly, truly cares about that circumstance and that situation in our life. But it's not near as important to him as the spiritual, as the eternal. God's character is the eternal's much more important to me than the temporal. You you, you remember in John chapter 4 when when the official came to Jesus and asked for healing of his son, and and Jesus' Jesus reply to him was, look, I care about your son. But it's, it's not more important to me than, than people believing me. Than people worshiping me. It's not more important to me than eternity. It's not more important to me than God's glory. See, God's heart is the eternal, is more important than the temporal. That your character is more important than your comfort. That you being holy is more important than you being happy. And so, when we're asked the question, hey, you want God to exact, to bring about change in your life? It's a hard question for us. God says, I have a plan. I, 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 I want to I grow your faith. I, I want you to trust me more. It's this... This journey that we're on, I'm I'm molding you and shaping you. I I want you to believe my promises. I I want you to love more. I I want you to care more. I, I want you to give more. I want you to experience greater joy. I want you to experience greater peace. I want to develop within you a servant's heart. I want you to grow in wisdom, which I will give you liberally. I want you to be a better husband and father and a better mother and a better wife. I want to free you from addiction. I want to give you freedom. I want to free you from drugs and porn and TV and and work and labor and gossip. I I want to bring about these changes in your life. Do you want to be changed? And we struggle with that question. This past week I had an opportunity to spend time with a a good friend of mine. He's a member of this church. He's only been a Christian for five or six years, but I have marveled at what God has done in his life, what God has done in his home, what God has done in his business. It's not been an easy road. There have been some very uh, real challenges there's been some very difficult decisions to make. But I've marveled at how he has trusted God and sought to, to follow God and to be obedient to God and to allow God to do what God wanted to do over and above what he wanted God to do. And I ask him, I ask him, I've asked him on several occasions and again this past week, you know what? What really was the catalyst for that? What, what was for the, 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 the launching for, 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 for your spiritual growth and your spiritual journey and your spiritual experience? And here's what he said to me. He's told me this before, but here's what he said. The turning point in my life, the real change in my life came when I prayed a simple prayer. The prayer was this, God, please, do anything that you need to do in my life to make you my greatest desire. He was answering the question that Jesus asks us, you want me to bring about change in your life? He was answering that question with a a resounding, yes, bring about change in my life. I wonder if you might pray that prayer this morning. God, do whatever you have to do in my life to make you my greatest desire. That's a scary prayer. I'd say that's a dangerous prayer. But it's Jesus' way of asking this question. Do you want to be changed? Do you want my ministry in your life? Listen, folks, this has absolutely no value to you at all if you don't want to be changed. And it's a question that, that... that you must answer today. It's, it's, it's not a question that you can put off. Putting it off is answering no. I don't. Comfort's more important to me than character. Happiness is more important to me than holiness. Temporal is more important than, to me than eternal. It's a question Jesus is asking you today, and it demands an answer. We can seek change in our lives by our own plan. That's what this man by the pool did. He had a plan. Or we can allow God to do what God needs to do in our life to change us. In other words, we can submit to God's plan rather than our own. Jesus' response when you tell him, I want to be changed, I want you to change me, I want you to be involved in my life, his response is going to be something like this. Get up. Take up your bed. And walk. The walking part, I think, is that, is that journey of perpetual, of consistent, of ongoing change in our life. It's his involvement in my life. It's his molding and shaping me into who he wants me to be we can continue our story of this lame man who sat by the pool of Bethesda. He had been lame for 38 years. Jesus comes and heals him. Jesus comes and brings about change in his life. And I I want us to look at this passage of Scripture because I think we can see some direction from Jesus on how to continually or how to perpetuate change in our lives. Change that He Wants to do in our lives. John chapter 5. And I think I will begin with the ninth verse. John chapter 5 and verse 9. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed... It's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, I'm sorry, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father's working until now, and I am working. One of the answers Jesus gives is, Look, my Father's at work. It's the Sabbath and my Father's at work. And I'm at work as well. I want you to see some challenges that this man who had been transformed, who had been changed by Jesus... Some of the challenges that he faced in order to walk, in order to to continue to experience change in his life. Because when Jesus transforms us, it's the beginning, not the end. There's a journey that follows. I testify it's an exciting journey. It's a challenging journey. It's a rewarding journey. It's a real journey. It's a journey of change. The first challenge that I see this man face is really kind of a subtle challenge. It's a challenge that we all face. You may not be aware that it's there. I hope that this morning might enlighten us to this challenge. I personally believe it is one of our enemy's greatest tools. This is a battle. We have an enemy who would desire that we not experience God's change in our life. I believe that this this subtle challenge in this man's life that we ourselves, every single one of us, experience has done more to hinder the advancement of the gospel than any other thing. Now, that's a big statement. I believe that this challenge that this man faced, a challenge that we face, has done more to hinder the advancement of the gospel than any other thing. And here's what it is, legalism. This is the challenge that he faced. I mean, just as soon as God had changed him, he is confronted with legalism. Just as soon as God changed him, You can't take up your mat. You can't take up your bed. This is the Sabbath. That's work. You can't work on the Sabbath. We've got to decide to reject legalism. Maybe a lot of ways to define legalism. I simply would define it or I would define it simply as what we do or don't do in order to be in right relationship with God. What we believe we have to do or what we believe we shouldn't do in order to be in right relationship with God. This legalism thing really stunts our growth. It stunts the change in our life. Look at the effect that it had on the Pharisees. Who confronted this man. Listen, legalism blinds us to the miraculous work of God. These Pharisees, God had just changed this man. He had been lame for 38 years. But because they were so tied to what you can do and what you can't do, because they were so focused on the law, it's as if they didn't even see the miracle that God had done in this man's life. That happens to us as well. Legalism does that to us. When we have fixed in our mind these rules, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, and I, I'm focused on those, it blinds us to the miracles, the supernatural things, the amazing things that God is doing us doing in our lives. We don't even notice them. We can't see them. When we, when we focus on, on, on having to serve... It blinds us to what God is doing in other people's lives through ministry. When that's our focus, I've got to, we have to. When we focus on having to give, it blinds us to God's financial provision in our lives. We don't see it. We don't even notice it. It's there. But we're focused on what we have to do when we focus on having I've got to read and study God's Word. It it blinds us to the way He wants to guide us and lead us and directs us. It blinds us to His promises for our lives. It it blinds us. It robs us of the intimacy that can come from spending time in God's Word. Because we're doing it because we have to. And if we have to, that's legalism. It, It blinds us to what God is doing. And it, and it binds us <laughs> to a list of rules and regulations, which is bondage, not freedom, which Jesus came to give us. I came to set the captives free. It, it binds us to rules and regulations. When, look, when, when I say religion, I think most people think of rules because that's the foundation of most religions in the world. It's legalism. It's a list of what you can't do and what you can do. And if you do these things, you're in right relationship with God. If you refrain from these things, you're in right relationship with God. Legalism is the number one enemy of faith and grace that God wants to work into our lives, that God wants to grow in our lives. Legalism can rob us as a church. It can can rob us of of a celebration like we had during worship this morning. It can rob us of that. A celebration of our relationship with the king. It robs us of joy, of intimacy with Jesus. These religious leaders, these rabbis, these teachers, these Pharisees, they had a whole bunch of rules. The Ten Commandments, that wasn't good enough for them. They had to take each commandment and make commandments under each one. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? They took that commandment and they wrote 24 chapters of rules on how to keep the Sabbath holy. Crazy, right? But we do that. We make up rules. There's, there's people in this room this morning, probably more than not, that are in bondage to rules that aren't in the Bible anywhere. And we're in bondage though, so we have to be careful of our criticism of the Pharisees when when, when when in so many ways, we act like the Pharisees. We, we act like the Pharisees when we, when we hold on to, to traditions above God's purposes. We hold on to those. They're important to us. We're doing things. We've, we're, we're doing things that we're doing them because we've always done them. That's the way we've done them. That's the way I was raised. When, when we're doing that, we're robbing God of the opportunity to do what He wants to do. It's legalism. That's what it is. We have a freedom to worship in a, a culturally relevant way. We have a freedom to do that. Man, when I was growing up, when I was Lexi and Megan's age, There was no drums on the platform, right? There was an organ and a piano. Because that's in the Bible. (laughs) Look, I'm an old school guy. You know, frankly, I love the organ and the piano. I love it. I love the hymns. I love it, but I'm not going to be bound to it. It's not going to be a legalistic thing for me. I I want us to do what what best ushers us into the presence of God, whatever that is. I want us to worship Him. I want us to adore Him. I want us to exalt Him. And we're we're free to worship that way, to share our faith in a, a culturally relevant way. We're free to to open up God's word and say, God, reveal your truth to me in a culturally relevant way, in an interesting way. Mold me and shape me by by using your word in my life. Share your truth with me. We, 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 We act like Pharisees when we practice spiritual disciplines without experiencing the value or meaning behind them. When I read my Bible because I'm supposed to, when I go to church because I'm supposed to, when I give because I'm supposed to, listen, there's no life-changing power in that. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, look, Dale, I've been praying that prayer for a long time. God, change me. God, changed me. God, change me. God, changed me. And one of the areas that you might want to consider is, are you here because you have to be here? You read your Bible because you have to read your Bible? You give because you have to give? That's legalism, and it's it's robbing God of the opportunity to do what He wants to do in your life. We act like Pharisees when we find our spiritual comfort in a list. When we, when, I think that's when we know legalism has just kind of grabbed hold of us. It it, it has us. We got to have a list. We got to have rules. I want you to know this morning, following rules takes less work than following Jesus. It's more comfortable than following Jesus. It doesn't require faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I believe, though, that the real danger in legalism is that it's false holiness. God Wants to make us more and more holy. He wants to affect this change in our life. And Satan has a victory. Our enemy has a victory in our lives when we think to ourselves, well, I must be holy. I keep all the rules. You can keep all the rules and not grow in your relationship with God. We've got we've to make a decision to reject Legalism. I, I, I think legalism especially preys on young believers, on new Christians. I, I'm scared to death that we perpetuate that. Those who lead, those who teach, those who are mature in the faith. We tell new believers, here's what you need to do, and we give them a list, right? Right? I've just seen it happen too many times. It breaks my heart. Somebody comes to Christ and they're so excited and God has truly transformed their lives. And we begin giving them things to do. You need to host a life group. You need to You need to get in a group. You need to be here on Sunday. You need to work in the nursery. You need to do this. You need to show up for that. You need to do this. We need to disciple. We we, we disciple. And you need to meet me Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. And and, and we're going to go through the scriptures together. And you got to be there. And and, and we wear them out. Before they have an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus. we got to. And all of these things, they've just began this this intimate relationship with Jesus. It's a, it's a relationship. It's one that that we, it we, it starts at a certain place, and then the more time you spend together, the more time the more you fall in love. The more you fall in love, the more you know. You know, and and and, and these new believers, we we've got to we've got to walk alongside them. We've got to encourage them. We've got to show them how it is that we have this intimacy with Jesus, how we fall in love with Jesus. We need to be more uh, focused in on, on how was your week and tell me about some of the struggles and tell me about some of the victories. And, and let me show you how the Bible teaches us that Jesus was involved in that. And that's one of the ways Jesus guides us. And that's an expression of Jesus' love for you and teaching them how to fall in love with Jesus before we start telling them that all of these things, this is what you got to do. I've seen too many people that, 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 that become a Christian and become a believer and we, we strap them down, we put them in bondage to all of the things that they have to do. And you know what? Some of them last six months and some of them last two years, but in, eventually they just leave. They're exhausted. And that's a result of legalism. Our expectation of them. What they have to do. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in that very place, let me apologize to you. Please, come and talk with me about it. Let's sit down. I want to tell you about Jesus who gives you freedom, a Jesus who loves you, a Jesus who wants to involve Himself in your life. I want to share with you the reality of this intimacy that we have with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This was a problem in the Galatian church. The Apostle Paul, he's, He establishes this church and he teaches them that we're saved by grace through faith. And they were beginning to grow in their grace and grow in faith and understanding the freedom. And Paul continues his missionary journey somewhere else. And someone came in and said to them, look, this grace thing and this faith thing, that's all really, really good. But you still got to keep the law. Paul writes them a letter and he says, you're being foolish. You're saved by grace. We live by grace. How do we fight legalism? Truth. We gotta know the truth. This friend that I met with, he said, here's how transformation in my life started. He said, I first asked God to do whatever he needed to do in my life to make him my greatest desire. And then I just got in the Word and read the Word. I, I, I just studied the Bible. I asked Him to teach me. He said, that's the only two things I did. That's the only two things. I had a desire in my heart that He be my greatest desire. That's what I wanted. I asked Him to do that. And I just got in His Word, truth. Truth will transform. Truth will set us free. Truth is God's word. I think that we need to understand the the difference between legalism and convictions in our life. I think that we should have convictions in our life. Convictions are what I believe in. It's what I value. I should be willing to die for my convictions. I have a conviction that Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. It's only through Jesus that I can have a relationship with God. That's a conviction. That'll never change. I'll die for that. We ought to have a conviction about our boundaries. We ought to have a conviction. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse, to my wife, to my husband. I'm going to be, that's a conviction of mine. I'm not stepping outside that boundary. I will die for that. We ought to understand what we believe, what our convictions are. But that's different than legalism. We got to embrace grace, understanding God's grace. It's God's grace that empowers us and motivates us and drives us to do his will. It's God's grace. Listen, one last thing before we leave legalism. You can't really talk about legalism without talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that when God transforms us, when God saves us, when we become a Christian, God comes and lives inside of us. That's the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's real and he's alive and he loves. And he leads us and he guides us and he convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit who says, I'm not pleased with that. That's not the right way. It's the Holy Spirit who says, let's go over there. It's the Holy Spirit who says, talk to him. It's the Holy Spirit who says, it's time to get in the word. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. As we grow in our Christian experience, we 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 learn as we grow as we're being changed. We we learn to live empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Hey folks, listen, listen, listen. I'm not your Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He is a person. He is God. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will empower you. He will convict you of things in your life that are displeasing to Him. He'll tell you that with great clarity. You'll know it. You know it, don't you? You know it. That's the way He works in our life. We want to perpetuate change we got to make a decision, a conscious decision to reject legalism and we need to decide to worship. In the 14th verse, I, I think it's so interesting that when Jesus runs into this man's life who he had changed, he runs, to him, he runs into him at the temple. I'm glad the man went to the temple. Maybe it was his first time in the temple. I don't know. But I sensed that there was a need. He sensed the need in his life to worship. We need times in our lives When we put everything on hold, the busyness and the deadlines and the worries and the hustle and bustle, and we sit down and we recognize who God is, we worship Him. We recognize how much we need Him. We recognize how much we love Him. We spend time with Him. We worship Him. It's refreshing to us. It's renewing to us. We need to decide to worship. We studied this, right, when we studied the woman at the well in Samaria? Jesus said, Look, worship. It's vital, it's essential, it's important. It doesn't matter where, it matters who you worship. Time with God, interaction with God. It's not a commitment to attend worship services, that's, that's kind of another sermon. It's adoration. It's worship. I believe it's essential if we're going to continue to experience God's change in our life. Not only do we need to decide to reject legalism and decide to worship, but we need to decide to stop sinning. Jesus says to the man when he runs into him at the temple Look, you're healed. Now go and don't sin anymore. you'll prevent worse things from happening. We justify sin. We're okay with sin. We're comfortable with sin. We forget how much it cost God, our sin, how much our sin cost God. We think there's no consequences to sin. Oh, there's consequences to some sin, but this sin over here in my life, nobody's getting hurt. Jesus says, stop sinning that nothing worse will happen to you. There is a consequence to sin. Listen, I can't stress this enough. I don't have the words to describe it enough. God hates sin. God hates sin. And he should, shouldn't he? It cost him everything. My sin cost him the life of his son. My sin cost him. No wonder he hates sin. God hates sin. God grow us in our understanding of your hatred of sin. We can't be casual about it. We can't understate it. When the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, makes us aware of things in our lives that are displeasing to Him, we got to decide, we got to make a decision. I want to rid my life of these things. I I believe that, that too many people become disappointed in the Christian life because they're doing everything right. Except they won't address this little sin over here. They just won't address it. You can, um, you can be in worship service every week. You can give in the offering every week. You can go to life group every time they meet. You can be in the word every day. You can pray. You can share your faith. You can be an elder. You can be a deacon. You can be a life group leader. You can be a preacher And still be addicted to pornography. And you're robbing yourself. God hates sin. We have to decide to stop sinning. I want to suggest to you, since you brought it up. I've never known anybody to experience freedom from those kinds of things. Those pet sins that are addictions in our life. I've never known anybody to experience freedom from them by themselves. It's one of the reasons that we're a body of believers. The Holy Spirit will empower you. It's the Holy Spirit's desire to free you from that. But I want to tell you something. You got to go to somebody and you got to tell them I need some help. You got to do that. This all comes back to this question. Jesus asks us, you want me to change you? Maybe he says this, really? You want me to change you? And it's a question that demands an answer today. Decide to reject legalism and decide to worship and decide to stop sinning and decide to openly confess Jesus. This man, he went and told the Pharisees, it was Jesus, it was Jesus, it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if he was telling on Jesus or if he was given a testimony of Jesus. I don't know. But I know this. Everybody that you know ought to know that you're a Christian. They should know. It's hard to hide the light. Please don't think that you can go through life being a closet Christian. I'm not asking you to stand on a corner with a sign that says turn or burn. I'm just asking you to be a light. People that know you should know that you're a Christian. I, I'm challenging you to decide that your relationship with Jesus is not something that you want to keep a secret. I think it's part of the change that God wants to bring about in your life. It's a decision. It's part of that process of perpetuating God's change in your life. You need to answer that question. Here's a man who Jesus transformed his life. And immediately, he began to be challenged on that change. God wanted to continue to bring about change in his life. God wants to continue to bring about change in your life. He's more interested in you being holy than you being happy. He's more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in the eternal than the temporal and we rob ourselves when we get those things upside down in our lives we rob ourselves we rob ourselves we think that we're helping us ourselves but we're robbing ourselves so here's the question and I'm done would you be willing to pray a prayer today like this god do whatever you have to do in my life to make you my greatest desire It's a dangerous prayer. God, do whatever you have to do in my life to make you my greatest desire. You have time this morning if you want to come and pray at the front. We're going to let you do that without us interrupting you. If you would like for someone to pray with you, we've got people that would love to pray with you. Come and Just tell me, I'd like for someone to pray with me. It's a life-changing moment. It's your choice. I want to invite you to stand. Lord Jesus, I believe that you have given us clarity in your heart this morning. And my prayer is that you will have your will and way in every heart in life. I pray that in your name.